Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. We'll get into this episode's conversation right after this. As an advisor, you have the technical skills to assist business owners in exit planning. However, few advisors know how to package the process and use it to drive the demand for their service. Learn how when you attend an upcoming bootcamp workshop. Visit exitplanning.com forward slash bootcamp to see the latest schedule and to register. That's exitplanning.com forward slash bootcamp. Don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of all exit planning can offer and to set yourself apart from the competition. With me today is Andrew Carlin, a business attorney and BEI member, a longtime exit planner from New York. Andy, welcome. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure. So Andy is um, an attorney in New York. His focus is on really family run family-owned businesses. In fact, even right now as we speak, he's the president of AFI. Uh, tell us about AFI and then tell us about your practice. Sure. Uh, AFI is Attorneys for Family-Held Enterprises. We are a group of about 70% attorneys, 30% all of the other disciplines that can work with a family business and we are dedicated to practicing in a multidisciplinary fashion, collaborative. Right, right. That's AFI. It's a small group, but we've got from very, very large law firms down to sole practitioners. Uh, Our main events are two conferences every year, an annual conference, which is several days. And John and I, you you and I spoke at one a couple of years ago. Uh, and then we do a mid-year conference uh, in early November. So next spring we'll be in Nashville for the annual, and in November of this year we will be in Chicago for the mid-year. Excellent. So uh, you're doing exit planning, I suspect, in part because you want to help these family-run businesses. So how do you, what do you do with that family-run business? Who do you represent, and then what do you do? There are various views on that, <laughs> and, and no, it and and yeah. it it can be an issue. It's important to clarify it with the clients at the beginning, and one of the issues you want to deal with at the beginning is confidentiality. Mm-hmm. If one family member tells you something that is yeah. uh, very very personal. Do you have to hope? Do you are you authorized to talk to other families about it? So you make that clear at the outset. We yes, we we, we do it at the outset, and typically where this comes up is when I'm working with a family business consultant. Mm-hmm. That being a person from any discipline could be an attorney uh, that has particular expertise in family systems and working with family uh, businesses. The umbrella organization here in the United States is Family Firm Institute. Mm -hmm. Uh, And FFI is much larger than AFI and has the whole spectrum of professions as well as an academic uh, component. So so when you sit down with... uh family business owner, mm-hmm. what, where, how do you start that conversation? What do you do? What do you say? I think it depends upon the reason that I'm sitting down with them. Uh, 
and usually, usually particularly with a family-owned business, the first meeting and co or conversations might not be with a representative group of the family. Right. It may be with someone that has called you either because they themselves are very troubled by what's going on in their family, uh, or they are representing the family uh, searching for advisors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily even the owner at that point. No, hope. I mean, that is the best scenario, yeah. but it may be a next generation person who's trying to move the succession yeah. along and is having an issue. Does that change how you approach the representation? Because, I mean, ultimately, you're going to be representing the owner, I'm assuming, or not? No, I think there are various ways to, to couch it. Let, let me answer really well by telling you a story. Sure. Years ago, at a Family Firm Institute conference, I was in a study session. Uh, it was part of the work necessary to get a, the designation as uh, Family Business Advisor with fellowship status, which FFI gives. We were, a lot of people in the room from different disciplines, we were given a very complex set of facts, like four or five pages about wow. a family business. Yeah. And then we were separated by tables, one table for bankers, one for financial planners, and so forth, and the last one was for attorneys. And we were asked to, at our tables, and be ready to report on what advice would you give, to whom would you give it. So it came to the reporting out time, and all of the other tables reported and gave their answers. But at our table, we hadn't gotten past who's the client. Yeah, that's a big issue for, law for lawyers more than other professions because of our code of ethics. And it's not as though the others don't have a code of ethics. Ours is just different. That's right. We, we tend to be like uh, uh, one-owner dogs, right? We've yeah. got a client, and that's our client. Well, I guess the, the legal system is based on advocacy, mm -hmm. and you're advocating for a position. Your, your client. Yeah. Uh, we do talk about these things. We do conflict letters at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yes, there may be a situation where we just feel it's a non-waivable con conflict. So what do you do then? Recom refer out to other advisors. Do you still represent one person, maybe, but there's other representation for other owners or families? That can happen, yeah. And in any work we do, I'm sure you did it when you were in practice. Uh, take even a simple buy-sell agreement. Right. There are conflicts. Yep. And you have to inform the client, and the client, most of the time, will waive it. Right. But it does no good not to clarify that at the beginning because I want the client to know about that. If there are any problems, let's get them out at the beginning. Maybe, so, maybe they want to go somewhere else. And, and so that's, that really is a great uh, view of the whole exit plan process. Usually, we're going to be dealing with multiple parties. It might not even be multiple owners. It might be multiple parties. It might be the management team and the owner. It might be... Uh, a child and another child and so as lawyers Andy and I are both lawyers that presents an immediate 
ethical issue, but I think for for many other advisors that isn't an issue, but it an ethical issue, but it's still a concern. So it's really important that everybody, whether it's an ethics issue or not, understand who in the heck you represent and that there are possible conflicts. And that in the event that there comes a point where they can't agree that I can't represent any of them. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, but I, uh, I think it's really important for uh, people involved in the ex exit planning process where there's multiple people to understand the position the advisor is in. And they should ask questions. Well, who do you represent? Can you represent me? Are you representing the company? Exactly what are you doing? Um, and again, when I practice law, one thing that was really important is a lot of the transfers we did um, were not third-party sales. There, there's not an issue. It's clear no. there's two different You represent parties. the company. Yeah. Uh, you got the buyer, you got the seller, but yep. in the and transferring business to the management. You can represent both the company and the owner. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So that's really, a, for the owners listening into this, that's something you need to be clear of clear in your mind and for the advisors listening in, especially the newer BEI members listening in, that's a clarification it, that you need to make and be clear on. I think sometimes. Well, for example, uh, recently a lady owns a, a substantial business talking about her exit. We interviewed her three children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happened? We, we had great interviews with them, and we, we, didn't look, we didn't look at it as an advocacy or an adversarial role. Mm -hmm. We were trying to understand the system and how we could best serve it. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, the mom is my client, and she wants to transfer this business to her children, but she's got to be sure that they can handle it or they will, they, they will be good successors. So I'm doing what my client wants me to do and you can't do that without talking to other people. Right, right. So I, I don't see so much of a problem in exit planning. Uh, if there are two owners in the business, that's a different issue. Yeah. I mean, I have a situation now where I have two owners over 40 years created a very successful business. One of them now is going to be bought out by the other, and they don't like each other anymore. So I haven't even spoken to the other owner, mm -hmm. and he is represented by counsel. So it's not really an issue. Yeah. Yeah, those, those are all the things that can happen. But, you know, that's also what makes uh, this whole exit planning world fun and challenging and interesting and Again, I started life out as an estate planning attorney. I don't know if you did or not. No. You were always a business attorney? Yes. Uh, but as, as an estate planning attorney, it's, it's nice to help people, but uh, I found representing people in exit planning is a lot more uh, exciting intellectually oh, sure. than doing estate planning, which tended to follow a, a similar pattern most of the time. The fun estate planning cases were those involving family-owned businesses. Yeah, as, as you know, because we actually spoke about this, I am a big believer in adapting the seven-step process for use in family businesses. Right. 
and I, I see several advantages to it, and that's what we spoke about uh, at AFI. Right, and and so even the, so, the, a lot of the in this case attorneys representing family held enterprises, they don't necessarily have the planning process, the exit planning process that that BEI and the BEI members have to to work through all of this in an orderly, organized manner. Uh, they're just approaching it from the standpoint, I'm a lawyer, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And exit planning, first of all, it doesn't require a lawyer to do the exit planning nope. at all, and most of our members aren't, aren't attorneys. Um, what else in being a family business attorney should we learn from you? Understand the family, get all of the information that you can right up front. Uh, a great way to start, if the, it's a family of any size, is to do a genogram. So tell me about that. It's a uh, family tree. Okay. There are, there's software that you can do it, and you can put in information uh, about each family member, but you can actually see how the generations uh, play out, and you can actually look at where the difficult relationships are. Because they're going to tell you? As they fill it out, or? yes, but but it becomes graphic, and you see it on the genogram. Okay. I mean, there are, I'm not an expert on genograms. There are people that are, but so you will see. Well, that will a genogram also show who the spouses of the family are. Spouses, if there's a deceased spouse, and now there's a second spouse, okay. it'll show the children, their children, and it will contain. Uh, information about each. Oh, that's interesting. I, I've never heard of that approach. That I can see how that could be really valuable, and it would be really easy to spot the potential difficulties, right? Yes. Child of a second spouse or something, whatever that might be. Yeah. Just, I mean, I remember being in, in a session at an FFI conference. It was on genograms, and the the presenter actually showed how you could see triangles and actually draw them on the uh, <laughs> on the uh, uh, genogram, and by, by triangle, I mean two's company, three's a crowd. Yeah, and I'm assuming these are typically not love triangles. They're not challenge, usually. Challenge triangles, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so that's that's what one, two. Now, I another think that's thing, unique to family-run businesses, probably. Another very simple tool that I think is really valuable, because I think there's a certain amount of education. We have what we call the three-circle model. I'm sure you've seen sure. it. Uh, it's three interlocking circles. There are seven positions. So any person can be a member of the family, work in the business, or be an owner. But can also be any two or all three of those things. Mm -hmm. So right in the center where all of the uh, circles meet are people that are owners, family members, and work in the business. And what I found that being helpful, if you look at that, if a family member looks at that, maybe they can see why another family member is taking a position that they're taking. Yeah, because they're not in the business, so they're not familiar well, with that or whatever. Then they're in a different position in those circles, right. either not in the business, right. uh, family members, you know, that that are just owners and, mm -hmm. and passive, but you can see all of that. And I like to think that it can sort of temper some animosity 
And someone can say, gee, if I were looking at it from her perspective, I might say the same thing. Yeah, I like that. So you're a big believer in using graphic images to help explain what otherwise can be pretty complicated and maybe when you talk about it, there's a, too much emotion that might come out and obscure what the real picture is. Well, I don't like to suppress the emotion. I think it's important uh, that it come out. But yes, I, I do like uh, graphics. Uh, also keep in mind that a lot of the people at Family Firm Institute who have done the research and produced these models are from academia, they have PhDs or they're still in academia mm -hmm. and they do tend to use uh, yeah. images and representations. But yes, I think, first of all, I, it, anytime we're dealing with clients, we want to, as far as possible, play to their particular learning styles. Yeah. So you have some people that are verbal and other people that might do better with an image and if you give it to them both ways, there's a better chance that they'll understand it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got, I mean, we've had, we have graphic images and BDI You're great at that. and about the explain process, but this is maybe something we should add. Happy to help do it, yeah. but you have great images. Yeah. Well, I, we, it's because they're effective. It's a great way of presenting something, and then it's the ease of explanation, which is what you're talking about. Absolutely. I've got these interlocking charts. Well, we can look at, let's look at this right here, and... And people will get it. Yeah. Yes. Happy to help do that okay. because, I said, because you, BEI has great stuff. Well, well, let's improve it. Let's add to it maybe. Let's add no, that would be great. Yeah, that would be, be great. And I think for new advisors, people just coming in, those graphics are a big, big help. Yeah. It can help you understand uh, the process much quicker, understand how particular steps in the process go together. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, perhaps the first three steps, uh, setting goals, uh, assessing resources, uh, and value drivers, those are sort of the foundation. Right, right. Then the main event is either going to be the sale to uh, an outsider or an insider right. transfer. And then there's the legacy part of it. Yeah, and what I like about what you're talking about in the church you're using, that's at the very front end. It's almost, it could be part of the engagement process. It could be a first meeting you're having with a prospective client to illustrate uh, some of the challenges that may or may not be there because you don't know yet. You're just, that's you're right. Just you're, it's a way for you to gather information. And, and BEI's tools for doing that uh, are terrific. Yeah, they are, so I thank you for that. But what this does is it's a way to have a, a visual image, not of value of the company, not an org, org chart of the company, things like that, which we tend not to do anyway, but it's what the owner, the issues the owner may face. Correct, and, but it's also, you lay it out, any exit planning process is going to have some iteration of each of those seven steps. Right, right. But it, it helps the owner figure out where do I want to start because you don't have to start at one. Right, right. Actually, probably in many situations, the most logical place to start is with continuity, Absolutely. which would be step six. Yeah. 
if something happens, something I mean, the owner dies or becomes disabled, uh, suddenly, what do you do? Yeah, because that's a concern that we often address right away. You know, we, we know what the goals are, the resources are. Now, how do we make that those goals realize if the owner dies suddenly? Yeah, it's, that's tip. That is typical in exit planning, and the, that gives us time to go back and address these other steps as well. I, you know, even on that, Andy, not to interrupt, but it, just doing business continuity planning. If you did the graphs and charts that showed where the potential issues were in an ownership transfer, that could really influence the design of the continuity plan, the buy-sell plan, whatever. That would really be instructive for state planning attorneys. Well, at root, it it could mean that upon a death or something of, of a death or disability of, of the owner, there's not going to be a company anymore yeah, or it's going to be vastly reduced in value. You know, Let's protect the goose that lays the golden egg, golden egg yeah, here. And it could have been the owner that was keeping hold, was the glue holding everything together. That's, that She's is now the passed issue. away, and now it breaks loose. Yeah. And speaking uh, to that, I've given it a lot of thought, particularly in the last few days. We talk about setting goals. I think it's very important for business owners to set, start setting goals and having a vision when they start in the business. Because otherwise, the, there can be a risk that they will never get beyond the garage stage yeah. where they've just established it and been a solopreneur. Yeah, and that, I think in a lot of scenarios, I think that's accurate, that startup entrepreneur, although they probably don't have much money, maybe be different in some scenarios, uh, they may need to get some, uh, some help. To set those goals because they they haven't done it before they may not be able to envision all of the goals that they have i hardly agree yeah. and they but they have gone into the business in many cases their goal being dinner next week yeah you know being able to survive economically uh and what they've done in many cases just created a, a job for themselves yeah. That will go away when something happens to them. So it's important that business owners who want to, and if you want to just be a solopreneur, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to grow, start thinking about that yeah. early on. And we look at goals when someone is getting ready to exit. And I cannot stress strongly enough the importance of setting those exit goals. Uh, Hard to exit without. If if my experience is that if a business owner has not been able to do that, there's a very good chance that they will not exit plan. Right. They just want yeah. They may not even think they need to exit plan. Well, that's a, g a good point yeah. because maybe an owner doesn't need to exit or doesn't want to exit. Yeah. So that doesn't mean they don't need a plan because. Upon their demise, something is going to happen yes. with that business, and his family or her family is still going to have financial needs. Mm -hmm. So we need to plan around that. And then, I, I mean, I tell people, this is your business. Nope, you don't have to exit right. plan. Right. And I guess that's a point, too. I see business owners who talk about exit planning, they're aware of it intellectually but not internally. They haven't right. internalized it. Right. Uh, 
so they don't really know where they're going. Yeah, and the problem is unless that they do internalize it, they may sell their business intellectually. That was a great decision, but they're unhappy after the sale. So yes. That, but I think that's our job as exit planning advisors to help them do that because they just may not realize it or they may not be able to, to deal with it. Right. And in many cases, the business is a lot of their social structure, structure of their life. Right. Because they're there so much and they interact with the people that they work with so much, right. remove that from their lives, and it can be, it can be very difficult for them. And no, none of us want to see a client sell and then feel seller's remorse. Not, well, maybe not because he didn't get the price, but because he doesn't know or she doesn't know what, what right, she wants right. to do. So I really stress that. I'm, just last week, I was sitting uh, with a, a gentleman he had talked to me about three years ago about exit planning, and, and we had some nice meetings, and he just wasn't ready to go forward. He said, when I'm ready to sell, I'll call you. Well, he called me a few weeks ago, and we met. And what's holding him up is, what will I do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, that's why we plan. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, stories of people that start exit planning and then disappear. Legion. They're legion. Yeah. And it's it usually because they're uncertain of what they want to do. They can tell everyone in the business what they need to do. Yeah. It's like the old adage, I can solve your problems, I just can't solve my own. <laughs> and yeah. that's what these folks feel. Yeah. That's great. And it's really important as an exit planner not to get frustrated or angry because it's easy to do when you prepare for a meeting and then it's canceled at the last minute. Last minute. You have to, have to realize that is part of your client and you take your client as you find them. Excellent. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exitplanning.com.